With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. There are two weeks until your fantasy football playoffs. This is the show to get you there. Stats versus film. We compare Hayden Winks' fancy usage model, which you can find in the description down below. It's on Underdog Network. It's all that nerd shit. You all love it in the comments. You always leave them after the video is over. We also throw in the tape, the all 22, the coach's copy at you as well to show our work and try to find the answers that lie in between. We go in alphabetical order, team by team. It is week 13. Hayden, how are you feeling? I feel great recovering off of a huge USC win, but the voice is back and we have a game on uh, Friday night to kind of ice this thing out. Maybe we'll play some Georgia. Yeah, as one great commenter pointed out, I can't close my eyes and think that I am having a co-host who's Whoopi Goldberg, you know, like Whoopi Goldberg and your imitation was so spot on over the weekend. I'm 28. Gotta live it a little. Did you even know Whoopi was an actor? Anyways, that was in the 90s. Here we go. We start off again, team by team. Arizona Cardinals. So this is the first time all season long that we've seen Marquise Brown, DeAndre Hopkins on the same field. We know production-wise, both have been, you know, top five, top seven when individuals out there. And this game, again, the Cardinals only put up 24 points. Nuke got four catches for 87 yards. Marquise Brown got six catches for 46 yards. My biggest question throughout this entire season has been, well, both lined up, again, in isolation as that left wide receiver spot. When he saw in this game, 38 slot snaps for Marquise Brown compared to 24 out wide. When he did play out wide, it was 20 snaps on the right side. So can we take any of that and move forward with a team that's also struggling quite a bit because of their offensive line injuries? Offensive line is not going to get fixed. So I don't want to look into the slot stuff too much because I think Marquise mm-hmm. Brown's like probably equally as good in the slot and out wide. And what happens when Greg Dorch or Rondell Moore comes back? Now we're going to like have to redo this conversation. So uh he comes back at 10.9 expected half UR points. He was a full-time participant. There was some talk about limited snaps. Didn't have that. Fantasy usage model-wise, he's the wide receiver 21. Meanwhile, DeAndre Hopkins in his first game back with Marquise Brown, he only has 7.8 expected half PPR points. These two are going to be battling. I think both of them like on tape, just skill-wise, pretty similar like levels of players, like earning target-wise. They obviously win in totally different ways. So I think both of them probably be more in like the wide receiver two ballpark rather than these like wide receiver one weeks that both Marquise Brown and DeAndre Hopkins had at different parts of the season. What this team has missed all season long, we're about to see it, are these vertical snaps, though? Are these vertical opportunities? And they didn't connect on either one of them to Marquise Brown, but... And he was mad just, about it. Yeah, right. And just compared to his, you know, attempts, at least in previous seasons, 
I mean, Kyler Murray's around like 17th in the league with his inter- attempts traveling 20 plus yards down the field this year. Um, that was a huge departure from last year when Christian Kirk was that vertical slot player. They got New Hopkins on it at times, even AJ Green. Uh, I would expect Marquise Brown to go away from being kind of that volume player on the outside to maybe a bit more high variance-ness to his game, but that can also equal, you know, high value targets down the field. It has to hit at some point, right? Because I can't even think of one or two plays where we've seen him launch a ball 40, 50 yards and then hit down the field. So in the next, even though the Cardinals, we think stink this year, five, six games of the season to end it, four, five games. I bet we get one or two long Hollywood Brown touchdown passes. Yep. You're still going to start them every single week, but it's not as easy at the layups, I think, as we have seen to start this season. Yeah, just more target competition. I think it's kind of similar or as easy of a prediction as that. Rest of the season, DeAndre versus Marquise Brown, similar-ish buckets to you. Like wide receiver two buckets, call it a day until we learn more. Yeah, and I'll go with DeAndre Hopkins just rest of season over yeah. Marquise Brown, even though I loved how big Marquise Brown played earlier this season. We do need to talk about James Conner, though, because yes. – and Ian pointed this out. In carries and targets over the seven non-injured games James Conner's had this year, 16, 18, 18, 12, 24, 19, and 28. Yep. It's pretty simple that when healthy, this is his backfield between the 20s and inside the 20s. Yeah, the, the last uh, couple games since he's been fully healthy and they got rid of Eno Benjamin, they're not using Keontae Ingram in any of those types right now. He had 19.9 expected half PPR points, 18.2, 13.9. This is too big to fail. He's not going to score as many touchdowns just because the Cardinals aren't as good as a team as they were last season. But man, it is hard to be bad if he's going to catch three right. to six passes and get all the goal line work and probably see 17 carries as well. So he's a top 10 running back for the rest of the season. And I don't see any reason to go away from them. They clearly don't trust any of the other running backs on the roster. Yeah, I'm with you. And last year when he did step in for an injured chase Edmonds and had that in between the twenties role on top of it, I think he caught like 27 of 29 targets or 36 of 39 targets. So you don't associate pass catching with James Conner, but he's been highly efficient on it. And again, this weekend, three catches on three targets for 20 yards and a score. And we always talk about, and they're getting a little bit healthier, but like the center guard right tackle combination has been really bad. So again, the rushing efficiency might not be there, but this level of volume, 25 carries. Yeah. And I don't think he's looked bad on tape either just because like he got his legs fresh because of that injury he had early on the season. So I think it looks pretty good out there. Last note out here, Trey McBride, like, no, no. I will say with that James Conner stuff, the New England Patriots are coming up for them after their bye week. Um, the Patriots have given up a whole bunch of points to the likes of like Lamar Jackson and Tua Vailoa uh, and shut down bad quarterbacks. I think it's kind of up in the air where Kyler is on that spectrum this year at times, but I would expect him to uh, not be fearful of this Bill Belichick, Steve Belichick defense like we have seen other maybe far worse quarterbacks in this league. Atlanta Falcons. So the Falcons are bad, okay? They want to run the football a lot, though. So this is the conundrum where we are heading into week 13. Cordero Patterson, 11 carries for 52 yards. Tyler Algier, 11 carries for 54 yards. CPAT also has five targets. Like, on a solid team, getting 16 touches, I would be happy with that. But on a really shitty team that has maybe the lowest totals of each week or bottom five each week, 
like this is at best flex to end of running back two territory for CPAC. Over the last month of the year, Falcons, 33% neutral pass rate. That is the lowest in the league. Only positives I can kind of spin up here for CPAT is last week. Um, they got rid of the Caleb Huntley usage and kind of mm. went back from three down to two. You can see a lot of greenery on that chart, getting some of the goal line carries as well. So CPAT uh, actually is a positive regression candidate. Usually it's the other way around where he's dunking on my model. Right now he, he hasn't scored as many touchdowns. Um, outside of that, the kickoff return. I think that he's going to be a fine play. I think he's more of an RB2 now than he was just a couple weeks ago because cutting this down from three to two when they're running the ball this much, you can at least get there at, at least in half PPR. Yeah, we got 13 points out of them, though. You know, like the touchdowns, as you said, unless he has another kick off, uh, they're tough to come by because, you know, they put up 27 points against the Bears and it was 15 against the Panthers, 17 against the Chargers, which everyone can run on. It's tough sledding out there. And Look, 15 touches is great, but yeah. I'm I'm disappointed where we are, where and I'm not saying you should you know go out there and Arthur Smith should give CPAT 22 touches, but the team just stinks. Like it it drops it down where again touches and touch share is not equal across the league based on you know the team totals that we're getting each week from the Atlanta Falcons. He did have 16.3 expected half PPR points. So okay. there's so there's some ceiling upside if they can build a lead he can we know he can rip off a big play and we've seen this offense play efficient football even though it's really really bad like environment wise for fantasy they have gone on a couple games where they've been efficient real quick not efficient football uh marcus marietta throwing to drake london uh among wide receivers with an under 10 a dot he's one of four wide receivers with a catchable target rate of under 72 percent courtesy of sports info solutions so he it, it's a lost cause. Like right We're, now he's sitting at wide receiver 36 or last month in, in my fancy usage model. And he's kind of underperforming that. So touchdown or bust mostly. We're on to 2023 for Drake London, please. He is one of those, you know, second wide receiver, second year wide receiver bump candidates, right? It just depends on the quarterback change. And if they lean into changing the offensive stylings along with it, they've won too many games to be in the conversation for them. The, so it, it's going to be like, Jimmy G types, like who who knows, like Andy oh. Dalton. I don't know what, what they're going to do, but I just can't do the Marcus Mariota thing. Like give me, no. at least give me Derek Carr level play. Feels like four teams are going to be stretching themselves to get Jimmy Garoppolo this all season. So not all four can get them either. It's true. Baltimore Ravens, where to start here? Where to start? Um, Let's go here with how this passing offense has really declined just in general, like a top-down view on it. And three games with Rashad Bateman to start this year. Lamar Jackson threw 10 touchdown passes, had a yards per attempt of about eight and a half. Since those three games, he's thrown seven touchdown passes in eight games, yards per attempt of six. Now we're going to throw it up here. He hasn't gotten any help. Mark Andrews is, you know, volleyball spiking passes. Uh, when you depend on though, like Josh Oliver and Demarcus Robinson and Deshaun Jackson, like, these are the narrow and thin margins that you're playing with here, you know? And so while Rashad Bateman wasn't great this year, it at least was a competent big play second option that they just don't have now. So I do seriously worry that too much is on the shoulders of Lamar Jackson already and how this can improve moving forward. Mark Andrews needs to play like an all pro for this to matter. And quite frankly, he just hasn't just in this game. There's a couple drops like last year, all these downfield targets, he was catching the red zone targets. He was catching to be honest right now. I think Deshaun Jackson's their best wide receiver. 
And that's saying something. So Lamar Jackson missed uh, one of these deep balls. I believe it was this one right here. This could have been a huge play, but that was multiple touchdown drops just in this last game. It's been a pretty similar picture for the most part. There's a lot of plays where he drops back and they have Patrick Ricard blocking. They have a second tight end blocking. And it's like literally just like Demarcus Robinson and then Mark Andrews getting doubled up. So it's just, it's been really tough for Lamar Jackson. I think he's running it really well. I think the run game is still very creative and he's still getting home as a fantasy quarterback uh, because of the rushing. But to get to that next level, to get back into that Jalen Hurts type of tier, he needs somebody to step up. And quite frankly, I don't know who that possibly can be. We know that Devin DuVernay is a schemed up player. Demarcus Robinson has been basically almost out of the league at certain points. And then Deshaun Jackson is a hamstring away from going back to uh, injured reserve. So it's really just Mark Andrews, please play better. The good news is he's a positive regression candidate. The bad news is I don't know what's going on. I think that he's playing through this injury. And sometimes even if they're unrelated, an injury makes you drop some passes. Who knows what you're dealing with? But he has not been an all-pro this year. And the Ravens needed him to be, especially with with Rashad Bateman out. Lots of stuff of Greg Roman waiting way too long to the play clock, getting the play into Lamar Jackson. Like by far and away, they have plays go off the clock within three seconds of the play timer. that's not a good situation to be in. Also, again, the thin margins that they're playing under. When you have Patrick Ricard's screen pass in second down, then a check down to him on, on third down, it's just tough sledding. And then, again, when you're running back and Gus Edwards, who just came in back to the ball game, 16 carries, 52 yards and a score, fumbles in your own territory, and you have all those you know drop touchdowns, that's between wins and losses right now for them. Like They have to thread the needle for these wins, and... I wasn't expecting this heading into the year. Let's put it that way. But again, it's what happens when you haven't invested enough in the skill groupings around to compensate for mistakes because it has to be perfect football from Lamar. And even when we're getting that at times, uh, the skill position players are letting him down. His surrounding cast is letting him down too. What's still nuts is even during that split that you talked about since week three, they're still five and three, I believe. I know. Plus 26 point differential. So that's how good Lamar Jackson is and like how much – He soaks up part of this offense. He just needs somebody to step up. I think the defense is playing slightly better. We'll get to the Jaguars who diced him up late in the game. Um, But he needs somebody, uh, just a pass catcher, step up. Gus Bus on the ground, I thought had a pretty uh, okay game. Uh, He had 15.6 expected half PPR points. That's a season high from him. Kenyon Drake was barely playing. He had that drop. It's going to be Gus Bus. They they say J.K. Dobbins might practice, but I'm on to J.K. Dobbins in 2023, even if if then. So Gus Gus Bus, I think, is my preferred waiver wire pickup i don't i'm not sure if i'll get him inside the top 24 running backs but he wouldn't be too far behind that i think gus bus is a good play buffalo bills one on thanksgiving to me this team added a piece that they've had all season long but featured as a mckenzie maybe the most and they have in like since the first and second game of the season i mean 10 targets six receptions 96 yards and a score like we always talk about this the high variance volatility nature of Gabriel Davis. Obviously, Stefan Diggs in a phone booth is one of the best, you know, man coverage beaters in the league. Uh, Devin Singletary has been great at running the football for certain situations, neutral, negative game scripts. Can we get Isaiah McKenzie more involved moving forward? Or is this just like a single matchup that you thought that they could maximize? Because again, the Lions secondary, especially without Jeffrey Okuda, just drops them down even a tier. 
Yeah, there's the deep crossers. I mean, we saw with the Patriots last season, whenever Isaiah McKenzie's popping, it's usually because he's running away from slot defenders. And that's what happened. He did have a season high 16 point uh, expected half PPR points. So, um, you know, I, I can't get too excited about Isaiah McKenzie. He always has upside because his offense has upside. But there will be a Dawson Knox week. There will mm. be a Gabe Davis week. There will be an Isaiah McKenzie week. And Josh Allen hasn't been playing at such an MVP level where three or four of his pass catchers are getting home right now. It's one to two of them each week because Josh Allen's doing so much on the ground. So Isaiah McKenzie's always in play, but he's a better in best ball play. Gabe Davis. He's going to have big weeks. He's still holding in there uh, as like a wide receiver three in the fantasy usage model. And I think he would be pretty um, efficient over the course of the season. Do, do you get my question though? And I really want to bring up this play because like, we just search for players on good offenses. And while the bills have had better peaks and even defensively, they have better peaks than they have been right now. This is still an offense that we know is going to throw the football or have design passes. And sometimes, you know, the quarterback runs in those dynamics, but like when we get in these bye weeks and injuries that hit, we're kind of searching for someone like Isaiah McKenzie. But as you said, the target distribution is not there. I do want to bring this up. I mean, it's a three by one and these are like these deep, posts or crossers or over routes that we keep talking about. It's a chip help from Devin Singletary. As we can see when Josh Allen hits his depth and McKenzie's open, there's a free rusher directly in Josh Allen's face, just as Isaiah McKenzie's running into the void that the two crossing routes create. But rather than continue on this route, McKenzie's something very smart works back to his quarterback in that open zone, catches it and then makes him pay after the catch. Like I'm just such a big fan of his that I want to see this happen because I think it can. And we search for these easy buttons all the time on the bills over and over and over again. And to me, this is their best Avenue for it. Yeah. I would call him like a wide receiver five. Still, there's okay. a path to upside. Like it's him or like some of these like lions or giants wide receivers. Then like, yeah, give me like the Isaiah McKenzie at this point, like no Jake Kumro. So he's not like uh rotating in as that wide receiver three. He's like kind of solidified himself as a wide receiver three. Close to career has really stepped up for the most part. Um, and speaking of not stepping up, Naeem Hines still playing like four Dude. or five snaps a game. I did, really do not understand that trade at all. He's like their punt returner. So uh, who knows? Carolina Panthers. Deontay Foreman this year, since taking over in week seven, 526 rushing yards, which is third in the NFL with four games of 100 yards. Now I want to put some of that into perspective here. So in two of this team's three losses in that same span of time, he had 24 rushing yards in those games. But in the three wins, it was 118 rushing yards, 113 rushing yards, and 130 rushing yards. So if like you think the, what, now four and nine Carolina Panthers who are on a bye this week are going to win the game, then Deontay Foreman's going to have a good one. But that is so unpredictable heading into these contests that he either is going to get 25 yards for you or 100 plus yards from you. Tough He's like thread. a... He's like a deep threat wide receiver. Uh, basically, he's a flex play based off of usage and production. But it, if they build a lead, then he's going to uh, be able to go off. Yeah, 19.1 expected half PPR points and wins 7.4 in losses. He's just gets subbed out for Chuba Hubbard whenever they're losing. And what's frustrating about this is we're never going to be expecting the Panthers to win. Exactly. So like it's shocking whenever play. they do. He has upside, but he's a flex play. That's my yeah. take on it. I thought Sam Darnold played really well. I've not got to watch this game, but Bro. Uh, better than Baker Mayfield. The, the bar, the bar is low. There were plenty of throws where Sam would get to his back foot and unleash these awesome bucket throws along the sideline or with a trailing defender to DJ Moore, 
And it gives you that out that we didn't see at all with Baker Mayfield in that connection. And it gave us, you know, four for 103 and one score. The 52 yarder to DJ Moore was really, really nice stuff. But again, the Panthers are on a bye this week. And then after that bye, they face the Seattle Seahawks, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Detroit Lions. So, like, once we get into that second round against Detroit, boom, go and play Deontay Foreman. Heck, maybe against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It can be tough. It can be tough as we go along. But it it is a really interesting dynamic when we love running backs with volume. But it, this one is so black and white, hot and cold, yin and yang. You know, we, we rarely get it that clear to us, especially for such a bad team. DJ Moore, 10.2 expected half PPR points in like the Robbie and Christian McCaffrey trades, which is like just barely higher than it was before it. But we'll take it wide receiver three boom bust. You never know. We're going to get with the, the Panthers, but maybe Sam Darnold just way better than the rest of these guys that they're throwing out there. Chicago Bears. Get destroyed by the New York Jets. They also lose on offense without Justin Fields out there. Darnell Mooney for the season. And I also believe Equinemia St. Brown for the season. Um. We have seen Justin Fields be a top three, top two, top one score at the position in multiple weeks. It now gets even harder. Very hard. But he's going to run the ball like nonstop. Uh, it just depends if, if his if his shoulder is going to allow him to run at those same levels. And it's on for Chase Claypool. Um, 8.4 expected half PPR points in week 12. That was as high as it's been in Chicago. He was barely even playing snaps. Now, by default, they're going to have to get him out there. We'll see if he can actually be a true number one wide receiver. They desperately need him to step up. Cole Komet, same type of thing. Uh, tight end six in usage over the last month. I'm not chasing those touchdowns. He's still one of the highest touchdowns over expected tight end in the entire league. And we shouldn't say that about any bear. So that we know that's going to negatively regress. And then shout out to David Montgomery, 16.4, 14.7 expected half PPR points in the two games without Khalil Herbert. Khalil's still out. So David Montgomery, he's not super sexy, but um, top 20 fantasy running back right now. Yeah, I mean, he makes so many people miss on so many different runs throughout. The Chase Claypool stuff, this is like where, I mean, they are going to have to pay him this summer based on what they gave up. But you have to figure out how to incorporate him into the offense consistently. You know, you have to figure out patterns that he and Justin Fields connect on, whether they be crossing routes, because it can't just be what Trevor Simeon did this past week of, okay, we get in isolation. Go Let's ball. just try to throw it up because that's what he did in Pittsburgh. And that's why, again, he was so high variance, like figuring out the concepts in a Luke Getzey offense, which we have seen, you know, improve as the season goes along. Uh, that's at least a good test and something for us to watch for as we go along. I'm looking for full practices for Justin Fields before like moving him back up to like the top five ish range. It's, it's, it's uphill battle. Uh, by the way, that Chase Cable pick 34th overall. Cincinnati Bengals. I want to rewind a little bit. I don't think I expressed my brain clearly enough uh, on the Sunday night show. What's new, right? Um, this Bengals offense and like how they're running it, I think is almost more sustainable in a way than what they did last year, which is crazy to say when, you know, then you win the AFC, you, you get to the Super Bowl. But they are less reliant on big plays versus single high coverage, less reliant on Jamar Chase taking a short slant and running to the house with it, you know. But they also do have that in their back pocket when they do need to have it as well when they do see single high. But I think it's because the running game is far more consistant. We've seen that with Joe Mixon this year. 
We even saw it with Samaj P. Ryan this past week against Tennessee. Um, plus, I actually thought a huge added bonus this past weekend against the Titans. Awesome pass rush. Heck, getting back to last year's playoffs, they sacked Joe Burrow like eight or nine times. Was Joe Burrow using his legs? Was mm-hmm. scrambling and converting first downs on that. So ever since that they have you know transformed into this almost pure shotgun offense, which they got a little bit away from in, in week 12, I love the balanced nature of it because it allows him to, you know, win pre and post snap. I allowed my Tyler Boyd frustration to boil over a little bit because he's almost the only one that hasn't hit outside of that big game three or four weeks ago in that span. Yeah, wide receiver 57 for Tyler Boyd over the last month. And obviously that's with Jamar Chase out. Jamar Chase returns, so Tyler Boyd, you can't start him. Uh, T. Higgins, I also want to give credit to. I think that he's become a, a little bit more well-rounded type of player. I always thought T. Higgins has been good, but over the last month, you've definitely seen T. Higgins ball out here. But yeah, I agree with you. They're they're more multiple this year. Uh, they're starting to break some of their tendencies. That's what Nate Tice from the Athletic Football Show has really been mentioning on their podcast and I'm with you. The, the defensive line has stepped up. I know they've had some injuries across the unit, but that defense is always pretty well coached, playing above kind of expectations. So I'm with you. I think the Bengals are very legit. Um, I think I would take them slightly ahead of the Dolphins, which I think is a pretty Ooh, uh, contrarian take right now. Um, but yeah, I feel really good about the Bengals. Jamar Chase, we'll see what happens with him. I'm hoping we get some full practices. He's just off those crutches, but the reason why he was on those crutches is because you have to let the bone heal, apparently. It's not like that he was like in pain or not mobile. You just got to let the bone heal and then get out there. So I'm assuming that he's going to be at full full go. And I think that Joe Burrow is playing at a high enough high enough level right now, where both T. Higgins and Jamar Chase most likely are going to like be ping ponging wide receiver one weeks, and hopefully Jamar Chase can kind of lead you guys into some fantasy championships. Even the defense, we've talked about it almost for a year and a half now. Lou Onarumo, it's like the no name brand players, and he just gets them playing at such a high level ferocious, aggressive, and DJ Reader coming back really helps them solidify that interior of the defensive line too against the run. Joe Mixon likely back this week. Uh, keep Samaji P. Run. Like this is like, do not, if you have a wide receiver five or wide receiver six on your bench right now, drop them, find Samaji P. Run types. Like I'll throw out like Joshua Kelly types. Look for those RB2s. Somebody that can win you your week. Is LaVisca Chanel going to win your week? Darius Slayton going to win you your week? Hell no. Go keep Samaji P. Runs. Find some backup running backs just in case you need them for like week 16, week 17. Yeah, this is running back insurance, running back handcuff season. Samir White is a name like that for the Las Vegas Raiders as well. We'll get to that though in a moment. All right. By the way, if this is the first time you're checking out the show, about like 60% of you that watch this every single week are not subscribed to the channel. Change that. You've made it 25 minutes into the program. You must enjoy it. Go and check out the other stuff that we have. The waiver show, rankings with Hayden, our guys for week 13 coming up, go and check out those programs. And I also want to give a shout out to the people who won our three tournaments over Thanksgiving. Let's go. Not just one, not two, but all three that we put out there and someone like a 12 hour span, someone like a five hour span. It's not so stuff. So Garrett B O five KB one, one and G a double O seven. Shout out to all three of you for winning with, you know, three very, very different rosters on Thanksgiving Day. Thank you for playing. We're going to have more of those in the yeah. future, too. Very different rosters. Um, yep. Battle Royale has a lot of ways to go win this thing. Go try it out. Hopefully, if you guys try it out, keep playing. We'll do some more things the rest, the rest of the way. I have one other little quick announcement. Uh, on Twitter, if you follow, if you have an account on Twitter, Underdog Atron. It's a fantasy bot. It's going to have all these updates for you guys. Make sure to follow this damn account. We're trying to get this 
let's get this we can get this at 2000 followers out there it'll be ready for sunday it'll be fun it'll be worth your time do you want to tell people what it is yeah big plays touchdowns if something happened injuries all that stuff it's basically uh like red zone for when you're watching on tv but for twitter automated bots fun stuff shout out to dan morris for helping us build that cleveland browns big story with them deshaun watson enters the program my hot take if you can call it that is I don't think anyone drastically improves on this roster from a fantasy football standpoint. Like when you look from a top down, Amari Cooper is the wide receiver 12 in fantasy points per game this season. David Njoku is the tight end seven in points per game. Nick Chubb is a running back four in points per game. Those are the three names that we've consistently talked about week after week. It's because Jacoby Brissett has outperformed expectations. And I wouldn't be shocked if Deshaun Watson underperforms expectations so at the most i think we keep those three players in your lineups but am i expecting like a spike in production no not at all yeah this is a tough one i can see this going kind of both ways i think like the my median baseline kind of projection is that this is a slight upgrade but we don't get like redacted quarterback mvp type of play from him just because new offense all that type of stuff um, but I, I would still say that David Njoku, I think, could get slightly better. Amari Cooper, I think there's still room for him to go up a tier. But you are right. David Njoku and Amari Cooper are already like league winners. Like for sure, David Njoku, this version, this healthy version, one-handed catch version. Yeah. Uh, one of the best post-game interviews I've seen in a long time, too, for David Njoku. True alpha stuff. Amari Cooper, uh, they've been lights out. So I think just for this exact week, we're going to get Nick Chubb, obviously, back. They play the freaking Texans. So they're going to win by a million points, most likely. Now, I just said all of that, and I'm with you. Like, whatever I just said, forget about it against the Texans because they're going to pile it up. With our frustrations of non-Travis Kelsey tight ends, would it be shocking to you, like, the rest of the way if David Njoku is a top three to four scorer at the no. position? I mean, this is why I like late round tight end because of this. Oh, this was one of our best calls from the summer. And we even saw it this past weekend, right? When they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a pretty solid defense. You saw the combination, which is very unique across the league, of screens and winning after the catch at tight end, plus sideline, down the field, explosive plays. Few other tight ends bring that to the table. And Njoku is one of those. It's been a great deal that the Browns made. And it's been great progression from the individual so far for David Njoku. Where do you think he goes next year? Just among all tight ends. Top six. Is he like yeah. Dalton Schultz basically from, well, from this last year? Okay. Hot take. Would you draft him ahead of George Kittle and Darren Waller? 100%. Yeah. yeah. By the way, Darren Waller's gone. If you read some of the reports, he, he's going to get traded. I'm I'm pretty confident with that. Yeah. Um, so, real quick. Someone, someone in the chat, I think made a good point. Donovan Peoples Jones could be somebody in a deeper league for a flex could have some spiked week potential fantasy usage model over the last month. He's been the wide receiver 33. If there is all of a sudden somebody else to pop up Donovan Peoples Jones, he's got a flash to me. The I, I've seen him on special teams. He definitely has an like elite elite speed going back to his days at Michigan. He is that better and uh, best ball type of profile. Maybe he is somebody that in a random 10, 12 person league you can't throw into your uh, bench spot. But we'll, we'll see what happens. Deshaun Watson, this, this could this, this is not a layup for him to be back where he was. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on. Dallas Cowboys beat the New York Giants on Thanksgiving. Improved 8-3 and three on the season. The full participants are there now. And I don't really have much to say because of it. Like, we 
feel like we covered it really well on instant reactions. Um, almost 50-50 split between Zeke and Tony Pollard in the backfield. The one thing that stood out to me was Michael Gallup has to do a lot to be consistent on this team in terms of his production, where he's not really separating per se. It's not necessarily these big down the field X wide receiver isolation plays, but they are instead contested catch need it on third down. He's Mm -hmm. winning those, but we know that that can be a really uphill battle to be consistent on a weekly basis. But it was good to see from him, obviously. By far his best game of the year over the last month, uh, wide receiver 43 in usage. So yeah, the the usage has not been great for him, especially with Dalton Schultz looking very healthy. Uh, Dalton Schultz, I mean... That was He's the a tight end three. performance, by, by the way. Four oh. catches, 31 yards, and two touchdowns when they got down that area. But it's bankable because we know this I Cowboys know. offense is so sick, and Dalton Schultz obviously has all that chemistry. I'm with you. Michael Gallup. He's kind of always been the con- this contested catch player, not like a big separation guy. Maybe he's lost a step, but I think that he can be somebody that's on that kind of flex radar because Dak Prescott's playing lights out football. So I guess really the debate is uh, Tony Pollard, Zeke Elliott. Right now, uh, they're basically averaging 11 expected half PPR points when both of them are healthy. Zeke needs the, the touchdowns. Tony Pollard obviously needs the big plays. I think both of them are like boom bust RB2s. I trust the Cowboys team so much that yep. I'm fine with starting both of them in like a, a 10 to 12 person league. I don't think either one of them is going to separate. I think the Cowboys have found the right formula. Tony Pollard on passing situations, get him out in space. And then Zeke Elliott, I think he's actually been playing pretty well in his, in his own role too. Zeke obviously has been relevant for a really long time. Tony Pollard has been relevant in fantasy Twitter's mind for a very long time. This is the most comfortable I've ever been starting Tony Pollard when we know it's going to be 50% snaps during his entire career because he is the most explosive player on that offense. And we know he has the ability to take, and this is so simple to say, three or four yard carries and turn them into 30 to 40 yard touchdown runs. And I'm willing to risk that on such a good team right now the rest of the way, despite the attempts volume and target chair and all that jazz. All right. Next up is the Denver Broncos. This team stinks bigly, but what we got was 13 carries for 92 yards for Latavius Murray. Now that includes a one long run of 52 yards. It might get a little dicey though, because Mike Boone is having his window to return to practice. They traded for Chase Edmonds. Maybe he returns at some point. And Latavius Murray is Latavius Murray. Plus, this team just put up 10 points. 10 points this weekend. So, when we search for volume and how it's king and so on and so forth, how are you observing Latavius Murray now and for the rest of the year? 13.2 and 9.3 expected half PPR points as the like lead back. I mean, I guess if you have to, he's... He's the RB30 if you need him. Um, Cortland Sutton, he uh, right now is second worst in touchdowns over expected. He scored uh, 3.6 fewer touchdowns than what my model would have an average player and average offense scoring. Um, Yeah, Jerry Judy, KJ Hammer have been out, um, but Cortland Sutton hasn't really moved the needle all that much because Russell Wilson has turned into a potato. So, I mean, this is any of them. Like Cortland Sutton, I guess, as like a wide receiver three flex option, Greg Dolchich has completely washed away Latavius Murray. If you're desperate, but I mean, this is, this is the baseline Russell Wilson. 
Kendall Hinton's the one who's out there in two wide receiver sets too. Yeah. You know, he's the one who's getting nine targets. The guy who played quarterback when everyone got COVID on the team. Uh, just quick thing, Court and Sutton. I don't want to pile on here. I know it was eight targets, six receptions, 75 yards this past weekend, but two of those big plays and big catches were on the final drive when the game was already over. Like, yeah, the Broncos might be playing garbage time as we go along, but that, that would be my counterpoint. <laughs> right. That That is so to me, the type of statistics and moments that I feel like are unsustainable that it, it sucks. I mean, Russ is so bad. It's over. So bad. All right. After this, we have the Detroit Lions. A Lions team that there's actually a good amount of hit on, and it feels like we keep talking about the same thing over and over and over again, but we have to do it here with this running back situation. I would love to get your perspective because DeAndre Swift is getting in full practices. The usage is so drastically different than the teams that you know selected him in the top two rounds at the start of the year when he was paying off at that price. Five carries, 19 yards. Four receptions, 24 yards in comparison, again, to Jamal Williams, 18 carries, 66 yards and a score. So Swift played early, but Justin Jackson still mixing in from time to time. And Jamal Williams is still getting most of the goal line opportunities and he keeps nailing them. So I don't see why this would this would change at all. So there's been multiple weeks with full practices. So I don't see how we can expect this to really change. Um, he had negative 10 fantasy points overexpected last week negative 10 that had to be one of the worst performances in a single game among a running back this entire season so he's getting targets but he wasn't doing anything with them um amon ross st brown's obviously dominating and we it might be one week too early for jamison williams we're getting him he, i want to get too carried away with the jamison williams stuff i think he's going to be out there probably be a limited player rotate in with josh they like josh reynolds they like dj shark uh cleve raymond they even mix in so i think he'll be part of that rot- rotation and I just think that the biggest storyline for the Dolphins or for the Lions right now is just Amon Ross St. Brown. I wouldn't even hate it if you put him inside your top six, top seven rest of the season fantasy rankings. I don't see how he doesn't go for about 10 targets a game. On Jamison Williams, head coach Dan Campbell told reporters that, again, injury, knee, in order for him to play Sunday, it would be, quote, a tall order, but anything's open. Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound optimistic. Uh, okay. Question before we move on. Yep. Going back to the start of this conversation. What do we do with DeAndre Swift as we approach the fantasy playoffs? Just, you can't do it. Bench. Bet worst case flex, but the, the good news for, for DeAndre Swift uh, drafters is they're going outside. They're doing Christmas carols. They're not setting their fantasy lineups anymore. It's, I don't it's know if that's totally design. true though. I don't know if that's totally true because the start of the season that he had, it was two, it was legitimately I think two games. Okay, and I'm only saying this because me and you are some of like the biggest Jamal Williams fans dating okay. back to the summer. This is my question for you: Is how much do you trust Jamal Williams? Because yeah, like right yeah, yeah. now, the last month of the season, he's the RB13 in usage, RB15 in pr- pr- uh, production. In these last three games with Swift practicing in full he's averaging 14.6 expected half PPR parts we know it comes in just one game script and one part of the, the area but when they go down there it is a lock that he's such a the damn ball we need a lock to be dancing in the end zone too no team is better at getting down to the one yard line and bringing jamal williams than the detroit Lions. like deandre swift's best trait is falling down two yards short of the end zone and then he gets vultured uh same thing with amon ross st brown same thing with dj chark and when tj hawkinson was on the team like they specialize in getting 24 inches away from the goal line and then just allowing 
Jamal Williams to score these short yarded scores. And like, when we know that this is the role that he's going to have heading into it, touchdowns are pretty cool in fantasy football. Like I don't, he's breaking, you know, typical thought process for what equals fantasy points, because this is a, such a specialized role. And I love it. I love when players do that. And while we can say each week, I don't know if it's going to happen this week. I don't know if it's going to happen. It just does like it yeah. did against the bills. It does against the Patriots. Like it just does this season. And so I will continue to go down that path and that ship because it's so clear that once it, they do get down there, he's scoring. It's really that simple because the offensive line is good. You know, yeah, they're projected for 25 points this week and he's the yeah. line back. He's, he's, he's in your lineup. And the last thing you want is to be watching those touchdown moves and he's on your bench. Like, I think that this might be different if it was, this might not be a great example, but like someone on the Arizona Cardinals offensive line doing it this year, you know, like if James Conner was heavily reliant on just touchdowns, like he was last year, you know, but the Detroit Lions offensive line is fantastic. And so they can move the ball when their quarterback gets space with Amon our St. Brown and, you know, he's catching these crossers and these. And so I, I have faith in them despite losing every single week or having close games every single week that they can push the ball inside the 10 yard line. And once they do, Jay will gets his last, last note. Oh, sorry. Lions number one in fantasy usage as a team to their running backs by a quarter mile in the last month of the season. Love that. Love that. If you drafted Jamal Williams, you're watching this afterwards. Let us know why in the chat. It was one of Hayden's best calls this summer. One of our favorite picks on underdog fantasy best ball. Uh, he's on the number one roster right now oh, yeah. with two weeks left to win $1 million. I won't dive into it, but the craziest thing about the leading team right now is that the fourth and fifth round picks were Brees Hall and Michael Thomas, and yeah. both those players are injured. But then he went on an absolute streak in like rounds seven through 12 of Josh Jacobs, Miles Jamal Sanders, Williams, Miles Sanders yeah. Josh Palmer, Garrett Wilson. What a streak. Green Bay Packers time. So Christian Watson's last three games, 12 catches, 265 yards. And six touchdowns. Our buddy Matt Harmon, I think, made a perfect comparison for him. And it's Martavis Bryant. And I'll tell you why I think it's perfect. Because it's the big plays that we all fall in love with. But it's also the types of areas and types of ways you get him the football. It can be manufactured touches on jet suites behind the line of scrimmage, which we've seen this season. It's also vertical routes out in space uses athleticism. It's also, like you saw, when it's offsides, let's allow him to go up and win contested one-on-one. And it's just vertical routes. It's crossing routes to outrun coverage and then vertical routes to win in isolation. And just spam those over and over and over again. When you have a quarterback who is struggling this year but still has the ability to hand the football off 40 yards down the field into your breadbasket, this is going to be successful. Now, the touchdown rate is not consistent, but it has been so far through these last three weeks when he's the number one wide receiver in fantasy points per game. Packers offense desperately needed somebody like him. And like you guys said, it's it's the runaway routes, crossing routes, go balls. That's it. You, that's all that he really needs right now. Um, it's just the debate. How sustainable is, is this? Fantasy usage model has Christian Watson as the wide receiver 15 over the last, <coughs> sorry, month of the season. Um, he's completely dunking on my, my, my model right now. He's yeah. scored 3.9 more touchdowns than my model expects, which is first among wide receivers. Keep in mind, he's played about, what, five games this year, 
and right. he's still number one in that metric. So that's not sustainable. But he's not a he's not a negative regression candidate where he goes from uh, wide receiver one overall to barely a flex play. The usage is still there. So really, uh, as long as Aaron Rodgers is out there or Jordan Love surprises, I think Christian Watson's like definitely an upside wide receiver too. I would be selling the, these rates, but um, he's he's where he's good at football is valuable for fantasy football. And his rollout is great as we go along. It's the Chicago Bears and Los Angeles Rams in the next two games for them. You know, I'll repeat crossers, vertical routes, use the speed, use the athleticism, create space instead of asking them to be a phone booth route runner. And they're doing all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's perfect usage so far. And the results speak for themselves. It's really great to see. It is. Um, meanwhile, AJ Dillon spiked last week, but you yeah, just like for the most part, like the same, you know, like it is what it is. It's, it's Aaron Jones out there. I, I think that if the Packers do end up punting off this season, I think it would be bad news for everybody. I think even this year's Aaron Rodgers probably going to be better than Jordan love when he steps in there. So yeah, it is what it is. Houston Texans. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's truly nothing to talk about here. The only thing to say, and this again comes from Ian Harditz of PFF. You might've heard of him. Damian Pierce has negative six rushing yards before contact on 15 carries over the last two games. Um, did he get benched last week? Like mm-hmm. everyone's getting benched on the Texans in terms of Davis Mills going out, Kyle Allen stepping in, Kyle Allen doing nothing. And then Dare Ogunbowale was playing, but it's mainly because, I mean, they were down by 30 points trying to creep back into it, but that's like such a, ludicrous game script that teams sometimes don't even treat it like it is negative game script. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Damian Pierce was clearly playing early in the half and the game, they literally had a 0% chance of winning this game. Right, it was 30 like, to nothing at half. Yeah. 20 minutes left in the game. So Darian Gumbelai goes in there and Damian Pierce is mixing in. So I don't think he was benched. Um, yeah. I mean, they just freaking suck right now. He's had under 10 fans expected ha- uh, happy PR points in back-to-back weeks. Uh, he's dropped down to the RB 26 over the last month. And this team's so beyond tanking for Bryce young right now. It's like, right. they're on another planet from everybody else. So I, I don't know what to do with him. I, that, that Lex, is exactly the point I was going to make because not to bring it back to this. This is why I kind of hate taking players on bad teams when we know Damian Pierce is good at the game, but they are so bad week after week that even facing the Cleveland Browns this weekend, I don't know if I feel confident, like the worst run defense in the league. I don't know if I feel confident because they could easily go down again, 30 to seven at some point. And then he's just taken out from a game script standpoint, from a play in play out snap standpoint. It's more likely for that to happen because they are so not challenging their opponent out there on the field that Anything is possible from a touch standpoint, script standpoint, however you want to phrase it. It's terrifying. Positive news, I guess, for Damian Pierce. Um, Rex Burkhead's in the concussion protocol right now. But like you said, Dario Ngumbo, I can do a pretty good Rex Burkhead impersonation. Uh, Nico Collins is actually somewhat somewhat on the radar i mean and really deep but these are like hollow things aren't they yeah, these are these are deep targets but this is like the better and best ball type of profile i'm talking like 14 person leagues brandon cooks has been under 10 expected half ppr points so yeah damian pierce i i'll be ranking him in the rb20s instead of like rb like 15 how he was just even like a month ago but th- this is why i hate it like again on paper against the browns would love to play would love to play him 
but a 28 to seven scoreboard I see in their future. Then after that, you're facing the Dallas Cowboys, the Kansas city chiefs and the Tennessee Titans over the next three games. After that, you can't play him despite him being an awesome football player and helping you to start the season. You have a potential to not see any fourth quarter touches from your running back one or running back two or flex. How different is he than Deonta Foreman? I trust the Panthers to be in games more. And I'm not saying win more games. I'm saying within within, 14 points on the scoreboard. (laughs) Yeah. Not down to 0% chance of winning with 18 minutes into the game. It's frustrating. It takes take good players on good teams to the nth degree. But this is like the opposite case study of that. They had five yards in the first half two weeks That's ago. That's what I'm saying. That's five a, yards. Think about how difficult that is when we saw, I can't remember in what game it was. Oh, it was the, the Colts game when they Colts. had six yards in the first quarter. Yeah. They did it for an entire half. Yeah. Oof. Speaking of the Colts, let's go there. Jelani Woods, breakout game. Weaves in the show. Sends me the Jelani Woods highlight tape. Let's bring it up here. He had, I believe, seven catches for 79 yards, which just exceeded his entire total for the season. He also had three touchdowns. Um, I'll trying to spotlight on myself here. During last year's draft cycle, I went through like some of the top athletes at each position because these were like the perfect 10 athletes, and he was one of them. You know, he broke all the athletic testing measurables. Um I might have used the phrase like he can't really play football. <laughs> you you did. <laughs> but I want to add context to that where he's a post-up basketball athlete type player who is extremely linear. And like him scoring touchdowns earlier this season was in that. He runs directly at you, tries to box you out like a monster and, you know, alley-oop it. There's never, even like much lower than a Mike Gesicki level, going to be nuanced route running and things of that sort. Um, These were sitting in soft areas and catching the football or, again, going up and getting it in contested situations or running down the seam just like that. You can create fantasy points in that dynamic. I just think teams will understand what his obvious strengths are, what his obvious weaknesses are, and more or less take him out of more games than we can see. But it is exciting when a young tight end shows that much in a spotlight game. I'm not trying to be overly yeah. negative, but I just want to talk through that situation a little bit. Kylan Granson was out. Uh, Moelle Cox was somewhat involved. I was surprised that the Colts were able to find a bigger human being than Moelle Cox, but they somehow did it with Jelani Woods. He had 11.4 expected half PPR points. That's Plenty enough to get at least excited for tight end two consideration given the state, but I think this is probably going to be a one year or one game blimp. Uh, for the most part, he's big and athletic, and that's better than a lot of these tight ends. But the Matt Ryan stuff was really tough to watch. I mean, yeah. the hospital balls on those last couple drives were brutal, and we see how run heavy and slow paced and kind of chaotic this coaching staff and their uh, philosophy is right now. So I'm not getting too excited um, except for like Michael Pittman. I think it's like a wide receiver three right now, just because he's stepping up to the plate, making some big catches, but this offense right now to me is still very tough to watch. I even want to diagnose the term athleticism here because he's almost a bigger, thicker Donald Parham in some situations. Like when I think of athleticism, I think of for route runners and pass catchers, dropping your weight, 
making moves, creating separation, sustaining it. This is using your frame, jumping up at the catch point, or for a big man running fast in a straight line. And I think that there's just different ways of, you know, diagnosing athleticism. And he has clear areas of strength. It's just a really limited tree for me. And that makes me nervous, even at a position that is so thin, like tight end, if that makes sense. I could be dead wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's just I'm, my read on it. I'm going to rank like tight end 20 this week. I'm not getting, okay. getting, getting, but you know how I'm just, you know, for yeah. the people out there, I'm not just, there's dynasty people. There's dynasty people. Yeah. And he's a perfect 10 athlete, all that type of stuff. The thing with Matt Ryan, too, is we've seen Sam Ellinger look even worse than that. <laughs> oh, my. It's not, I mean, Sam Ellinger enough already. Jacksonville Jaguars. The soliloquy is over. If you want to go back and listen to it on Instant Reaction Show, you can. Do you want to watch uh, Zay Jones first or Jermichael Hasty first? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go Zay Jones. I have some Trevor Lawrence takes. I, w- I went back and watched that game. Uh, give me your Trevor Lawrence takes because I gave all mine on the Sunday night show. Yeah, so I, I thought the first half was pretty spotty. There was a couple sacks that he was taking, uh, a couple missed throws, but that fourth quarter, man, was serious big boy throws to the perimeter, and that's the difference maker that you're looking for in the in the quarterback. We know that he can scramble just enough, but he has enough arm strength to make those like kind of whole shots. He doesn't have like Justin Herbert arm strength or anything like that. Um, but that was a that was a pretty awesome sequence in the fourth quarter. A lot of those going to Zay Jones on the perimeter. So um, fantastic fourth quarter for Trevor Lawrence, and there's no way not to be pretty optimistic for the Jaguars. There's been like three games in a row where he's looked, oh, yes. uh, I would say, like an above average NFL quarterback. Where there's still some kinks to iron out here, um, some accuracy issues. I think just barely, but big boy throws littered all over the tape, and a lot of them to your boy, Mr. Zay Jones. Oh. I mean, Zay's a flex play. Now, this is the peak of the peaks, right? We're not going to get another week like that. And if we do, you're never going to hear it from me ever <laughs> You're again. retiring. 14 targets, 11 receptions, 145 yards. I actually want to rewind a little bit and go back to uh, this play that he showed because this is so awesome from Trevor, right? The Ravens come out in a three safety look. So you basically think it's going to be a third, a third, a third, right? What they do... The Ravens drop that far right safety into like a robber coverage and ask the middle safety to then work into a cover two look. And so as they did all day and what Trevor did all day was hit these hole shots over top of Marcus Peters and over the running safety. And like, you couldn't hand that ball off better, you know, and this was just over and over and over again. Um, some of them fourth down conversions, some of them third down conversions, some of them with pace, some with, with tempo, some of them with under duress. I mean, it was so good. So, like, what do we do here with Zay Jones? Flex? Well, fantasy usage model wise, our last month, wide receiver 17, a wide receiver 18 usage. So, um, yeah, th- this year he's had 10.7 expected half PPR points. I think he's a, he is a flex play. Um, Christian Kirk over the last month has been wide receiver five and wide receiver six usage. Um, so yeah, Trevor Lawrence is keeping these guys afloat. And to me, these last three games for Trevor Lawrence, like we might have some spiked weeks out of Christian Kirk and Zay Jones for the rest of the season. This is getting me excited for 2023. I think that's like been the big storyline to me. You're seeing, seeing some progression, definitely comfort in the pocket, um, for a lot of these throws. And so much of their offense was, you know, 10 yards and in because they didn't really have any verticality to it against the Raiders a couple weeks ago in that win, I think he threw down the field more than he had all season long. 
The Chiefs game, while it just looks like 40 attempts for 259 yards and two scores, was very good if you go back and watch it. And you had this one, which was nearly perfect, despite you trying to be an asshole and say nasty things about his first half. Um, well, they had like six points. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Speaking of that first half, Travis Etienne leaves with a yep. foot injury. Post-game, Doug Peterson says he was cleared to return, but they held him out, which is weird to me, Hayden, when this game was so tight heading down to the final series in the fourth quarter, why you don't have like your most explosive player out there. But obviously, Jermichael Hasty filled in extremely well. And just side note, the Jaguars dominated that trade with the Jets, where Hasty's looking this good and this competent, and James Robinson's a healthy scratch each week now. Yeah, I mean, it was very clear like after like the third week, and we talked about it on, on the podcast that James Robinson's basically toasted for at least this season. And Jermichael Hasty, that one corner throw um where he caught Marcus Peters peaking. And by the way, Marcus, I love Marcus Peters. He's one of my favorite cornerbacks to watch because he's either getting an interception, making a big play, or giving up a big one. Yes. And he's gonna make you hear about it either way. He caught uh Marcus Peters here kind of peeking, getting his yeah, hand I, in the cookie, I, I love cookie this jar. because as you're saying, like Marcus Peters probably sees Christian Kirk in the slot, who they paid a ton of money to. And as you're one on the outside, it's Jamichael Hasty. It's, I believe, a second and 13 here. Yeah. Um, so instead of, you know, throwing this pass to Christian Kirk, who's short of the sticks, he sees the eyes of Marcus Peters into the backfield and looking through the wide receiver and just throws it up to Hasty, who I don't even know if he's in the progression, to be honest with you. Like, we see this across the league, and they're just like decoys out there. Yeah. He also got murdered in the pocket, by the way. And it's just, a, again, another perfect throw to get the football out there. Like, I, I'm – these hole shots all day, all day were flawless. Yeah, that, so, that's that, that, that's the ceiling that we're looking for, to, like, get him out of this, this Matt Ryan, kind of Matthew Stafford type of tier. Like, is there something more than that we can look forward to in some of these type of throws you can kind of envision yeah. and potentially getting there over the course of the season? Jermichael Jum- Hasty, by the way – um, undersized back, but he, I mean, he had 18.1 expected happy bars. He handled the load. I think I saw like maybe one or two, uh, James Connor, uh, snaps out there. They, they have Daryl Henderson, but I mean, oh. Daryl Henderson, I think has had a really bad season. Um, and he's still learning the playbook. So if, if Trevor, if Travis Etienne's out, I think Jim Michael hasty is going to yes. be the lead back. They would make Daryl Henderson active, but he would be in this kind of low volume. We've seen the the Jaguars and all these games have gone bell cower basically bust since that uh, James Robinson trade. I think you perfect put it perfectly where we would get Travis Etienne usage from Jim Michael Hasty. I can tell you that that coaching staff isn't big fans of Snoop Connor at this point, mm-hmm. so it's it wouldn't be a, I think a 50-50 approach there, and that they trust no. Hasty in uh, in that dynamic. I think he fits in. With what you're saying, like the running back insurance, the clear types to to the end of your benches, if something happens to ETN, Hasty's in there probably getting 70% of the workload. Yep. All right. After the Jaguars, it is the Kansas City Chiefs. So the Juju Smith-Schuster stuff was weird. Full participant in practice, coming off concussion protocol. I thought when he was out there, he looked fine. Yep, but he wasn't out there nearly as much as we expected him to be. So I got some clarification here uh, on this. He he was barely out there. Um, But even though he was a full participant in practice the entire week, 
he didn't clear concussion protocol until that Friday. And since he's had some other concussions, they weren't sure if he was going to be ready. So when they were doing their game plan, they were making some adjustments here. I think then when he was actually active, then they just gave him a couple uh, snaps out there. So I think you have no choice but to trust that that's what happened and to treat Juju as if this didn't happen. Now, the only potential issues here is that Justin Watson was basically a full-time player and he adds a little bit of size and, and power to this offense and they're getting sky more, some more reps. And then right. who knows if Kadarius Tony is ever going to suit up again. So there is a little more downside risk here with Juju, but I think he's going to rebound be that wide receiver too. Like he was, I agree. I thought he looked totally normal uh, on his few catches out in the flats. Let's talk through the change in Isaiah Pacheco's usage, because what we saw was 22 carries, 69 yards and a score with Clyde Edwards, Elaire on IR, a long run of nine. But the biggest change here was red zone usage and may, namely inside the five yard line usage uh, in weeks one through 11 Pacheco had two carries inside the five in week 12. What we just saw five carries. Now that's great that we know he has that, but I'm a little cautious to say that that's going to happen each week for the chiefs. Because again, as we continue to say, no team throws more and is more creative inside the five yard line rather than doing the Detroit Lions Jamal Williams thing of just hanging the football off to the running back. And I will say this game in particular, the Chiefs went as galaxy brain in the red zone as you can possibly have. They were doing some absolutely nonsense things. Even Andy Reid after the game was kind of laughing about it and saying that they got to clean that stuff up. Um, a lot of the Isaiah Pacheco uh, goal line touches, in fact, every single one of them came in the second half when the game was already way out of out of hand. It was clear that the Rams were going to be able to score a point on them. Uh, and he was getting stuff. They were doing a bunch of weird things down there. So it's not as sticky as it was, but the fact that he was out there getting some goal line carries is good news. Now, Wrinkle, right. they add Melvin Gordon. I think that he's just going to compete with Ronald Jones, who barely mixed in. Uh, he Ronald Jones did get some touches in the first half, as did Jarek McKinnon. But Jarek McKinnon's been really bad um, this year, like quietly. Um, so I think Isaiah Pacheco, he's more interesting than he has been all year just because we've finally seen some of these goal line touches. Yeah, that's the point to make. And uh, it's almost trying to put the floor in the ceiling awareness on where Isaiah Pacheco can be each week and just temper expectations a little bit. Because in order for players to really be in that top seven, top 10 stratosphere, which we would think, you know, a running back attached to like the clear number one running back attached to one of the best offenses in the league could get to, you have to score touchdowns. And it's just really difficult for these running backs to score touchdowns right now. And you outlined it perfectly of when these opportunities came and how they really haven't happened that often since the early CEH stuff. So is he in your starting lineup? 100%, right? He's in there as at worst a flex, but should you think of this as, okay, this is a possible outcome of 15 to 20 points. I, I can't get there. So it's, it's again, I think finding that gap where the expectation should lie. And I think you and I are on the same page with that. Yeah, I think, I think he's fine. I don't think Melvin Gordon's going to do a, a whole lot. And this comes from somebody that has supported Melvin Gordon for better or worse for the last couple of years. Now, I believe Melvin Gordon and the chiefs and the Broncos face each other in week 17. So you went from week 17 correlation against the Chiefs to now stacking an extra Chiefs player if you took him in best ball, right? Mm -hmm. Did I do that correctly? Facts. Yeah, since we spent so much time this summer talking about that stuff. Las Vegas Raiders. Josh Jacobs is insane. 
Mike Renner, friend of the show, backs or ball carriers with the most runs that have resulted in first downs this season. Jalen Hurts, 51. Justin Fields, 55. And Josh Jacobs has 68 of those. Weaves, once again, believe cut us all of the goodness from Josh Jacobs in this game because just reflecting on it, might be one of the best running back fantasy football performances we've ever seen. He was completely dominant. And there was reports after the game that he was like legitimately questionable. He he injured his calf on the Friday before it. He was uh, added to the injury report, was questionable going into the game, then uh, suffered an, a, a little injury during the game to it. And now is not going to practice this week because of it. Even with all that, he still has what touches the ball 40 times this game and Crazy. pops off for 300 yards. So, yeah, I mean, oh. fantastic story. Like, how could you not be rooting for Josh Jacobs after how the Raiders kind of treated them or treated him this offseason? Um, yeah, he's, he's been completely dominant. He's right now, he's leading all running backs and wide receivers and tight ends in uh, in half PPR points this season as what? Like, he was what, a seventh round pick, ADP of like around 80th overall, like, unquestionably the, the MVP. And the, the schedule tightens up here. He's got this calf injury, but man, you are in the fantasy playoffs because of him already. Yeah. He closed with a ADP of 80, as you just said, just crazy stuff. Okay. So hopefully he does play. I believe the coaching staff already came out and said that they are not going to let him practice all week long. Right. And so if he suits up, it's going to be a Jake Glazer last second report or uh <laughs> Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, Midnight Report. So be sure to be locked into the NFL news section of Underdog. So let's just theorize. What if he doesn't play? How does this filter out? Because we've seen, again, just a sample from last week when he was injured. 33 carries go in his direction. And then you have Zamir White and Amir Abdullah. Do you think it's going to be more of a Patriots-esque rotation if Josh Jacobs is out or not? Um, I think I want to save this conversation for Thursday if we okay. if we can do it just because I mean they made Zamir White a healthy scratch before. He's like he was like the most one to one replacement, but he's gotten like no touches, like Amir Abdullah, these guys. So um I don't know. Uh at the same time, so obviously J- Josh Jacobs number one in every single metric according to the, to the model. Uh Devontae Adams quietly on pace for fifteen hundred yards, fifteen wow. touchdowns. Wow. Very quietly. That's a very quiet fifteen touchdown pace. That's pretty nuts. And again, the first team place team in basketball mania three right now opened Travis Kelsey, Devonte Adams, Josh Allen. Sorry. One good. more, one more name here. Foster Moreau, uh, last yeah. week's season high, 12.7 expected half PPR points this year without Darren Waller. That's at 8.0. The wrinkle here with Darren Waller is that the, apparently Derek Carr called him out for not battling through this hamstring injury. The front office, uh, linked some, some things out to the media as well. Um, we'll see Darren Waller is supposed to come back or he's at least eligible on the eighth. He hasn't played because of the hamstring injury and in basically two months, but this last, this next week, Foster Moreau, I'll be having inside my top 12 fantasy rankings for sure. I picked up Foster Moreau on every single one of my Cal Pitts teams. Now you can guess how good those Cal Pitts teams are, but I'm battling for like the sixth seed. You're trying to get Sacco. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll see. Los Angeles chargers. Uh, Austin Eckler is also having a crazy season. From our friend Al Zeidenfeld, Austin Eckler has 80 catches this year. That's 30 more than second-place running back Ramondre Stevenson. And among all wide receivers, it would rank fourth. That's ahead of Devontae Adams, who we just talked about, Michael Pittman, Amon Ross St. Brown, even Cooper Cup and where he was headed. That's crazy. He's pretty good. Um, 
other running back note besides Austin Eckler is Josh Kelly comes back, plays over Isaiah Spiller, so he has somebody to keep in mind. Gerald Everett, only 5.3 expected half PPR points, was not a full-time player. They got Trey McKitty more involved. We're still waiting on the, the big Mike updates. Um, I think Keenan Allen and Josh Palmer looked pretty solid. Both of them are top 20 in the fantasy usage model. Uh, Keenan Allen had his highest uh, expected half PPR point total of the year last week. Well, we're not glossing over this. I mean... Since week 10, 11, and 12, Joshua Palmer is the wide receiver nine in fantasy points per game at 13 and a half. He's playing his best football right now when the Chargers need him to be playing his best football right now. It's not as flashy as I hoped it would be or some you know explosive big plays, even though he's had a couple of those in this stretch. But for how difficult it can be it's almost like watching David Chang work in like your grandma's kitchen. That's all run down and broken. Like watching Justin Herbert in this offense, because you just know that it could be so much better if surrounded by better things, but he's still going to whip up something awesome with just using the microwave. If that analogy made sense to anyone out there, by the way, out of all the references you've made, I 100% know David Chang. I've watched all of his Netflix stuff. Pretty sick reference off the top of my head. Um, it feels I didn't, like that's didn't make what, any sense to me, but I, okay. I did like it. <laughs> Re-listen later on. It, it feels like that's what Justin Herbert is having to do here. Like it's all just uphill over and over and over again. And he has to play perfect in order for them to just, you know, go on 75 yard touchdown drives. With that being said, I trust this quarterback situation enough to trust Joshua Palmer as a flex play, even maybe with Mike Williams coming back, because who knows what Mike Ooh. Williams is going to be like when he comes back. Yeah, That's Josh a significant Palmer. injuries he's coming off of. Yeah, uh, Josh Palmer, last five games with mostly Keenan Allen and Big Mike out. 11.9 expected half PPR points. So uh, he's he's definitely in your lineup if Big Mike is out. If he if Big Mike is in, we'll have to go over those debates. But that could be a discussion for another week, too. Okay. Los Angeles Rams. We can go quickly over this team. If you care about touch share and target share and market share, Kyron Williams is emerging as the lead back. Van Jefferson is naturally seeing more targets with no one left to catch passes. But the team total, just like we talked about with the Bears outside of their quarterbacks and running backs, uh, is going to be so low that it does not matter. You know, it's going to be what? 18, 19, 16, 15 points for them, especially if Matthew Stafford goes down, that like I don't really care that Van Jefferson is going to see 31% of the targets out there. Kyron Williams, even getting all those snaps and targets and shares and all that stuff, 8.4 expected half PPR points. I didn't think that he looked all that good. He's kind of an average player to me. Um, If I had to pick somebody, it would actually be Van Jefferson, season high, 10.7 expected half PPR points. Obviously, Allen Robinson out for the year. Same thing with Cooper Cup. Um, it would be just absolutely disgusting. Refresh the box score at the end of the day and hope that you got your eight targets and got out of there. But yeah, I think at the, this point of the season, I mean, what are the odds that Matthew Stafford even returned? Numbness in your legs, neck injury, concussion protocol, but not a concussion doesn't make any sense to me. I would guess we're 50-50 that even returns. Let's compare gross to gross, okay? Mm-hmm. Van Jefferson versus Nico Collins. I'm taking Van Jefferson because I trust Sean McVay's play calling and just like being able too. to script a Jared Goff esque offense, which with whatever quarterback they have out there, and maybe Van Jefferson can be the beneficiary of that versus you know what the Texans throw out there each week. Yeah, and the Rams kind of need to see what they have in Van Jefferson. Like, is he a is he a starter for them next year? I yeah. mean, they have no money or draft picks, so it doesn't even matter what they think. He's probably going to have to be out there. 
So yeah, he's he's at least okay enough flex though. Miami Dolphins, once again, great offense, put out 30 points. I do want to take it to the segment at the end of the first half and beginning of the second half when Tua was out there because they lost Teron Armstead to a sprained peck, strain peck, I believe. And it sounds like best case scenario, he's back within two to three weeks. But what happened as soon as he left, they moved 71, I think Brandon Shell over to left tackle. And he, he immediately left like a ton of pressure go right by him. Um, I believe all four of or three of two of sacks in that game was after Teron Armstead left. So I'm not saying we should freak out about this, but we've seen such great pass protection with how quickly Tua gets the football out that it's allowed this to be an unstoppable offense when he has finished games from start to finish that not just from a running perspective with Jeff Wilson, but from a, a passing perspective, I, I am just slightly cautious. Maybe this is more of a pickums, hires, or lowers and things with Toronto. I'm sort of not being out there because Brandon show was awful at left tackle. And I don't even know what the case is with Austin Jackson right now. Your boy. <laughs> Leave me out of this. We're in the Pac-12 championship. We have better things to talk about. Sports Info Solutions on off splits without with and without Teron Armstead. We're talking about a difference of passing EPA 0.27 with him on the field, negative 0.19 with him yep. off the field. I think there was some overlap with Teddy Bridgewater and all that stuff too. And on off splits are definitely notoriously noisy here. But we know Teron Armstead was one of the biggest free agents of the entire offseason because we know he's damn good. And this Dolphins offensive line has zero depth and the rest of the starters are not even good. In fact, I think this offensive line, even though they've been so good this year, uh, or the team's been so good, I think this offensive line still remains one of the worst units in the league. So it is something to watch here. Um, but when you have Tyreek Hill and uh, Jalen Wallace creating that much space, doesn't matter that much. I think it would impact the running backs more than the receivers. I, I guess my point is two will probably get hit more often if that happens. Yeah. And we just haven't seen them being hit that often mm-hmm. this season. Just something to keep in mind. Okay. Minnesota Vikings, really fun matchup upcoming for them against the New York jets. The Vikings are nine and two at the moment. It's very in right now, Hayden, to say that the Vikings really aren't that good, you know, that their point differential is negative. I think considering a 40 to three loss, the Dallas Cowboys skews things just a little bit there. Um, But with us searching for, you know, teams that are relevant, not just in the NFC, but the AFC, they are maybe the team that can launch themselves in the top three category in the NFC or drop down to that lower stratosphere. They're in almost no man's land. At the moment, and it's pretty amazing when you consider that they they've lost their top two draft picks this season in Lewisine and Andrew Booth for season-ending injuries. Yeah, anytime you have Justin Jefferson on your team, you have a chance to go on a run. He's been that good. Now, what's crazy about the Justin Jefferson thing is he's on pace for nineteen hundred yards. But look at him. This is touchdowns uh, over expected. Even better. Justin Jefferson is one of the worst in touchdowns over expected this year. We know that's just complete noise because we know he should be kind of up here in this Devontae Adams range. Like there's There was a scenario this year that he could have been 2,000 yards, 17 touchdowns if he ran on a little bit better luck here. Um, so he's actually a positive regression candidate, as is Dalvin Cook, who, according to the fantasy usage model, uh, RB5 usage over the last month, but RB21 production here i think he's somebody to be looking at for for pickums for dfs for battle royale all that stuff i think this offense is going to be pretty good there was that span from week one till about week eight when 
Kirk Cousins had an average depth of throw of about seven, seven and a half yards. And they traded for TJ Hawkinson, you know, week nine until now. And that's gone up to about nine and a half. So more deep shots from Kirk Cousins, I think, could create some of those explosive plays. But yeah, what you're saying of Justin Jefferson not getting as many looks inside the 10 or the 20 as some of the other best and scoring touchdowns on those. It really is amazing how well he is playing right now in an alternate universe, an alternate universe. It could have been even better. Yep. Uh, we were complaining about Justin Jefferson been sitting right here in the deep targets. He's he's creeping yep. up. He's now like borderline top 10 in those deep targets. Let's and let's I think up. the TJ Hawkinson stuff opens all of that up like we've outlined it with TJ Hawkinson while he's not elite in anything. He's really solid in a lot of areas. That's really perfect for this offense. It's really perfect for this offense. If I was ranking coaches that most likely to check into analytics, Twitter and maybe into the underdog football show Vikings coach would be, I think number one, Kevin O'Connell again, a really fun matchup against the jets this week or sometimes <laughs> New England Patriots. Um, I actually think, Thanksgiving was the best Patriots passing game. It's looked all season. Oh, yeah. Deeper throws for Mac, which we saw against the Ravens too, I believe. Deep play action. Damien Harris now week to week. So that makes the running back situation a bit more clear. Even saying all that though, I don't know if it's sticky. Like I don't know if the Jacoby Myers, that's all you can take from it because who wants to start Devontae Parker each week? And Hunter Henry got home. But I'm a little bit, I need to see it more than just one week. Let's put it that way. Even though obviously we had the buy and now we have a little mini buy from the Patriots as well. Yeah. I think new offense injury. I, it would not be surprising to me at all. If Mac Jones has his best run of the year down the stretch, like, I mean, it kind of, everything kind of points that direction. Now, is it, does it matter enough for anybody? Maybe it does for Jacoby Myers as like a wide receiver three. But right now, over the last month of the year, Jacoby Myers has dropped outside the top 50 in fantasy usage. So I think really for fantasy purposes, it just goes all back to Ramondre Stevenson with Damian Harris this year, 12.4 expected half PPR points without him. That jumps up to 19.1, which would put him into the top five uh, discussion, depending on matchups here. So all the offensive line injuries, all that stuff, the ankle injury, the new offense, I'm guessing it's going to start sorting itself out. We could see a couple reasonable um, games from the Patriots. By the way, all the like uh, complete like betting nerds and like mm-hmm. people with their models and stuff, they always rank the Patriots like as a top ten team. It's I never know. really made sense to me, but they they kind of they love been steadfast in them. I, I, I guess we so. just saw one that has them ranked over like, the, the Dolphins? Dolphins. Yeah, like, right next to the Dolphins. Pretty crazy. Really crazy. New Orleans Saints, these next two teams, not much to say. Chris Olave had a really strong game, continues, not going to say underrated anymore, but a really promising season. Nine targets, five receptions, 62 yards. Had another about 25 yards that was taken away when he got almost three feet down, tripped over his legs, fumbled as he went to the ground, and they caught it incomplete. Stupid stuff. Uh, There's nothing to say about this team. Like It has, I think, gone from... Michael Thomas to Alvin Kamara during those years to now Chris Olave and Alvin Kamara with some sprinkles of Taysom Hill thrown in here and there. Yeah, it's no good. Uh, their offensive line's been a problem. Um, specifically, center Eric McCoy, his on-off splits right now are pretty noticeable. Um, and they've been rotating their like left tackle. Their their guard play has been very hit and miss. But uh, they need Eric McCoy back specifically. We know he's good at the game. But yeah, this team, um, going back to the NFL draft, that pick for the Eagles is, I believe, seventh overall right now. For This was basically to get Chris Olave and Trevor Penning on a team that was going nowhere. 
And this Saints, um, and we're talking about every single year I tweet about the offseason, um, the Saints, like uh their salary cap situation, they're always like, Oh, we can yeah. we can get we can get under, we can get under. It's like, well, you keep extending 34-year-olds, yeah. and it's gonna be, I think, one of the worst five-year stretches for the Saints. I know this is a current fantasy football podcast, but that organization is in really, really tough spot right now. New York Giants, seven and four, six and one to start the year. <laughs> So now it's going on a bit of a tailspin. Again, not much to say about this team. Like Darius Slayton is getting six targets. Richie James is getting six targets. You have to really thread needles in Daniel Jones to hit these third and longs, third and sevens, in order for him to convert. Guess the biggest question, and it sounds like the offensive line is getting a bit healthier with Evan Neal, and that's going to help overall Saquon Barkley. But, you know, when you get long carries of 10 yards from him, it can be a tough day out there in order to hit for at one point the guy that we could thought finish think finish as the uh, number one fantasy scoring running back this year. Probably not happening now. So with Evan Neal and Ben Bredis and one of their guards, uh, and Evan Neal, we're, we're we have pretty high expectation that he's going to be a really good a tackle in the league. Uh, they both left in week seven, as did Daniel Daniel Bellinger. All of them are supposed to come back this next week. In those first seven games, Saquon was averaging 129 total yards per game. Since then, it's dropped to 77%. I think you can make an argument that Saquon hasn't looked as explosive during that same stretch. But going back to Daniel Bellinger, that's a run-first blocking tight end. San Diego State, who really pounds the rock. Evan Neal, Ben Bredesen, some of their replacements have been some of the worst offensive linemen in the league. So I think we can see a resurgence from Saquon Barkley. The only counter to this is that Saquon Barkley is approaching the career highs and a lot of these touch metrics and stuff. Maybe there is something to that, but I saw this guy touch the rock at Penn state a billion times and he has the body to maintain it. So I think it's ultimately going to be noise. So I think battle Royale, pick them DFS, all that stuff. I think this could be a reasonable week for Saquon Barkley. And no matter what happens, it's been a positive season. If you're a giant supporter, because you know, this coaching staff can coach. Like they're leaning into the strengths of players that the roster already had. They haven't been able to put their own spin on the roster at all. And that's telling something. I know Brian Dable is not the play caller, but he certainly helps construct the offense. When you've seen him go from Alabama, when they focused everything on the ground with a running quarterback to Buffalo, where focus on spread everything out and throw the football like berserkers down the field to now what they've done with play action and boot action and misdirection with this running game and Daniel Jones, like that's just great and positive signs for them moving forward. Uh, I will say, despite getting the offensive lineman back, they get Washington, Philly, and Washington over the next three weeks. So those are some ass-kicking defensive lines that those teams have, and I think Jordan Davis might be back for that Philly game too. All right. Next up, after the Giants, it's the New York Jets. We have a lot of tape to go through here. Simply put, as we talked about in the Instant Reaction Show, the reason why you move over to Mike White is to get someone like Garrett Wilson the ball because the guy just runs routes differently than a lot of players throughout the league. It doesn't matter if you get a hand on him, try to lunge at him with two hands. He's creating instant separation for you, and he's really fun after the catch. And so this goes from a player in Garrett Wilson who at one point this season had more targets inside the 10-yard line than any other wide receiver had inside the 20-yard line when Joe Flacco was quarterback to basically unpredictable irrelevancy when Zach Wilson's that quarterback to now being thrusted, I think, directly back into wide receiver three, heck, wide receiver two conversation, if not higher 
on a weekly basis. Yeah, I think you make a pretty good point that it could be definitely higher here. Garrett Wilson expected half PPR points with Zach Wilson, 6.3. With everybody else, that's Flacco and the white guy at 17.5 per game. So that's a difference of over 10. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that drastic, but when you watch the white guy play quarterback, it is ball out immediately, dink, dunk, dink, dunk. I think he's going to be a future NFL offensive coordinator. That's the type of player that he is. He can throw on the run a little bit. That's how he got that touchdown to Elijah Moore, but a lot of the Garrett Wilson uh, production was um, underneath behind the backfield stuff. Same thing with Elijah Moore. So this is just get the ball out quickly. And I trust the white guy to find the open spots against uh, the Look defense. at this little drift out though from Mike White. Mm-hmm. little movement. I like it. It's not bad. And I actually really love that first catch to Elijah Moore. If I can find it here. Um, because it's like, you know, you see off the snap. If you all can see this. Inside leverage with this cornerback that has an Elijah Moore and Elijah Moore wants to get into the inside here. This is where the pattern is. So he elects to kind of slow play it off the line and then boom, going to have to run past him and get to the point in the spot beyond you. It's trail technique. Like this isn't, you think Zach Wilson's making this throw? No, sir. Not an end breaker. Are you kidding me? And so Mike White already knows my guy's going to get, I trust him. He's going to get to the spot, throws it first, the oncoming safety, bam. And we run after the catch. Elijah Moore's, I think, stat line and box score probably exceeded his usage, but I would expect that to grow a little bit. Like, this is now two straight seasons that we have seen the wide receivers be far more productive with other quarterbacks not named Zach Wilson. And I I think that this is simply going to continue. And I'm 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 really excited about it because Mike LaFour has done a great job of be- making the running backs relevant all season long. We'll get to that in a moment. But you have a second round talent who has been good outside and inside in Elijah Moore, who hopefully grows in his opportunities as the season goes along. And then Garrett Wilson, who, like we've said, as a phone booth route runner and then winning after the catch and creating explosive plays off of that is someone who is really talented. And I, I'm optimistic moving forward because I don't see how Mike White gives us over back over to Zach Wilson. Yeah, Elijah Moore, I can't get there for fantasy purposes yet. He's didn't even make the qualifications for the fantasy usage Ouch. model. And that goes like 80 wide receivers deep. Um, they love Braxton Berrios. There was a lot of plays with Braxton Berrios, like low-key in the backfield. So they mixed him in. Corey Davis probably is going to get some more run uh, now that he's back from injury as well. So uh, I think this is basically Garrett Wilson or bust. But I think there's this higher ceiling here with Garrett Wilson. Definitely a higher floor. Um, I think Zach Wilson's on the the, the Josh Rosen kind of tra- trajectory. Let's talk about the backfield because it's been really exciting for us all season long with the Jets. So Michael Carter goes six carries for 21 yards. Uh, James Robinson, healthy scratch. Son of a night goes from being a healthy scratch and immediately inputted as the, let's say running back two here because Ty Johnson was operating as the two minute drill pure passing down third and long back. Is that how you saw it as well? Yeah. So Zon and the night got in there a little bit early in the game. Ty yep. Johnson came in there late. Um, and I think that Ty Johnson, um, I think, I think he's going to be in the mix to some extent. We there's, there's even some optimism that Michael Carter might be able to play this thing out. He had a low ankle sprain, not high ankle sprain. Um, we'll see. I think Zonovan, I would rather have Zon and the night than, than James Robinson. I've seen enough James Robinson oh, yeah. this year. Um, so I'm definitely on team Zonovan Knight. They call him Bam Knight. Excellent name. 
I thought he had NFL athleticism, didn't do anything uh, too wrong, fumbled the ball out of bounds. Who cares for the most part? Um, my other note from this is Bears defense. There's one of these Ty Johnson runs. I'm not sure if he's in, included in this clip. No, he's not. Um, Touchdown run of like 30 yards. You already broke like 18 tackles. Uh, yeah. Bears defense. So they obviously trade away two of their best players. Uh, since then, uh, we have Eddie Jackson out for the year, one of the better better safeties in the league. Uh, Jaquan Berkser wasn't in, involved here. They've had some cornerbacks uh, on the injury report. This is by far, I, mean, I should say by far, but it is unwatchable defensive play. So keep that in mind for matchups going down the stretch. All right. I tentatively am putting Zonovan Knight in that category of, hey, if you have an extra spot at the end of your bench, like maybe drop that second tight end and, and add him. Because I don't think you make that move with Zonovan Knight in the active roster if you're thinking of moving James Robinson back to the active roster. Anything can happen here, you know? By the way, we've added so many subscribers since last year that when I tweeted out the white guy throwing to Garrett Wilson, uh, I realized I had to instantly delete it because no one got the joke from the show. Oh, I still tweet it. I'm, people probably hate me for it, but it's good stuff. <laughs> okay. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles. They're pretty good. Like I, I was saying, I was going to focus in on the offense after the Dallas Goddard injury and how this changes. I don't think it really did. I mean, they are incorporating all these running backs. So Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, heck, and even Kenny Gainwell near the goal line. Um, there's... It's one of those teams that is so obvious, but I just wish that we could depend on the targets and the opportunity of Devontae Smith each and every week because I would love to stick him into lineups, but I don't think I can bank on enough to know that he's going to get, in your words, 10 and a half expected fantasy points per game. Yeah, Smitty, 10.6, 11.8 in the two games without Dallas Goddard. That puts him into the wide receiver two mix, but like at the same time in those games, AJ Brown hasn't been popping off. So like you listed like what Jalen hurts is second in the league in first downs. Uh, that's because he's running the ball. When Jalen hurts is running the ball, you're not getting fantasy points from anybody else. So Miles Sanders productions all over the place. Like one week he's in the RB thirties. The next week he scores two touchdowns. Then the other week, Kenny Gainwell scores in there. We see Boston Scott close out games. This offense could win in so many different ways. That is very frustrating for fantasy. But if you even everything out, all of these players are starters. Um, Finding their spiked week is basically a guessing game. Uh, this is, seems like one of the coaching staffs that's going to be very game plan specific because very front front office coaching staff, they're all well aligned, very smart, and that's why they're performing uh, at such a high level. Pittsburgh Steelers, Deontay Johnson now has 94 targets this season and zero receiving touchdowns. He's route running, though. He is a separator, Hayden. Yep. Like, I understand, whatever. He separates, I think, at every level of the field. Now, where Kenny Pickett and George Pickens are aligning is when I, alpha. That, when I need that one deep shot because I'm going to take this opportunity now to throw it deep. George Pickens and his brain connected to his feet and toe tapping along the sideline and the fluidity of making sure you get it all down. It's, it's pretty amazing stuff. With that said... Do you trust the Steelers passing offense enough to like trust George Pickens on a weekly basis? Like I don't trust Kenny Pickett to that degree. George Pickens last month of the year. A lot of this is with Chase Claypool out of the way. Uh, wide receiver 20 on wide receiver 34 uh, usage. So 
I am starting George Pickens as a wide receiver three flex. Deontay Johnson uh, has one game above 10 half PPR points this season. By far, in uh, a way, the worst in touchdowns over expected. Can't catch a contested catch for his life right now. Um, I thought Kenny, that was Kenny Pickett's best game. Like it wasn't super, super flashy, but I, I think he, his decision making needs improvement. But I think when he's creating a play right. and he's throwing the ball, the ball goes to where he wants it to be and he can scramble around. Yeah. But the decision making to me, there was a couple of plays where he left some things on. That's where like the passing charts and stuff isn't going to, uh, show you exactly where his blemishes are. Cause he's taken a couple too many sacks and there's probably a couple post routes that he should pull the trigger to. Yeah. Love my best game to have two completions over 10 air yards. The W. I think the best way to describe Kenny Pickett is if he gets knocked down, he gets back up. He has a little gamer to him. He's not too different. He has a stronger and better and more consistent arm than Taylor Heineke, but they, I think they play the game somewhat similarly. Uh, to your point with Deontay Johnson and like a huge reason why he doesn't have any touchdowns this year. Uh, he only has four targets inside of the 10 yard line this season. Um, and I believe Pat Fryermuth is at four himself. And then George Pickens is at three. So like they just don't throw, they don't get to the red zone. They don't get to inside the 10 and they don't throw that often once they get in there. Kenny Pickett. The offensive line, Matt Canada, there is some communication errors. I would say four or five times a game. There was one like empty protection call where it was probably Kenny Pickett's fault, but it's so hard to distinguish. Is it Matt Canada? Pickett, all that stuff. And it's it's not a good sign for, for a, the pro-ready quarterback to be going through some of these lumps. It's not that surprising at the same time, but they really need to iron this stuff out. I would rather just see get rid of Matt Canada for next year and just build around. We, we know it's Najee, Deontay. And yeah. uh, pick and to pick it, and we need we need to clear out the rest. Get an offensive lineman in there, please. Th- those were kind of some tongue in cheek comments I was making to you, but like, can he consistently be the like quarterback twenty each season, like just across the league? Yeah, like I think so. Yeah, and that that's fine. There's just a huge difference to me in sticking by and like advocating for a player that I just see the skill set of, like a Trevor Lawrence or so on and so forth, versus like Kenny well, Pickett, because yeah. I think oh, it's yeah. so much of that is. When you have Kenny Pickett's skill set, it's does the high variance nature of the gamesmanship hit that week? And then also, what is your supporting cast? Do you think he has a chance of being Ryan Tannehill? No. Okay. That's like what I'm like kind of hoping that he could be. I hear you. Uh, We probably need to talk about this running back situation real quick. I mean, it's been brutal all season long. Uh, But in this game, with no Jalen Warren, Benny Snell stepped in for Najee Harris, who had an abdominal injury with 12 carries for 62 yards and a score. And then Anthony McFarland, who I actually would have guessed was out of the league, uh, six carries for 30 yards here. Benny Snell time, I guess. I mean, it'll be, we'll see what happens with Warren. This is something for, for Thursday's show, but the Najee stuff does not seem promising. Promising at all. San Francisco 49ers. So let's talk through this entire running back spiel here, Okay. Eli Mitchell is dealing with a possible MCL issue. And Eli Mitchell was a real important part of this offense when Christian McCaffrey is hovering around 15 touches because then you had the juice that he brought to the table and he was creating a lot of explosive plays with it. Christian McCaffrey is dealing with a possible knee tendinitis, which takes management both in practice and in the game. So with both of them out of week 12 towards the end of the contest in the final three minutes, 
Jordan Mason finished the game. Now, is it as simple to say that Jordan Mason with Eli Mitchell probably sidelined for a few weeks? Is he the one to pick up? Maybe not, because earlier this year, we saw Ty Davis-Price, who is inactive on game days because of special teams and he doesn't play them, play above Jordan Mason. And with all that said, if it does come down to a managed CMC plus Jordan Mason and Ty Davis-Price, does that just mean we're going to see more Debo Samuel back in the backfield as well? Well, the problem with the Debo stuff is he's dealing with hamstring injuries himself. So it's like everyone that they want to plug into this role is dealing with something. So, yeah, Christian McCaffrey, his um, he had 13.3 expected half PPR points after having 20 or more in his other uh, 49er starts. Clearly was being bothered by it. I think basically TDP plays, what, 80% of the Elijah Mitchell role. Debo Samuel probably mixes in if he's healthy enough wow. to mix in a couple more. And I think that Mason just kind of keeps in his roll down there more Kyle use checks on third downs. It'll be just get weird with things. And I think they'll probably ask Jimmy G to make some more plays to brand. Ayuk. This is one of those situations where I just throw my hands up in the air and say, I do not know. And all of us that are predicting this, unless Kyle Shanahan, who's quite honest at times in his press conference has said something different. I do not know what is going to happen with how much Christian McCaffrey is going to, because as you said, the narrative has, gone a bit overboard in the split between CMC and Eli Mitchell prior to this week, because Christian McCaffrey is still getting like number one running back usage, even when splitting the backfield. If it's managed though, could he get 70 to 80% of that? It doesn't matter. You're still starting him like that's if he's, if he's playing in the game, you're starting Christian McCaffrey. Don't do it. I see what you're doing below. <laughs> do not do it. <laughs> you know who they need trace sermon, baby. Let's go. But the Ty Davis price stuff. It's odd that I understand he doesn't play special teams that Jordan Mason does, but that's a pretty good. That's a, that's a good enough explanation for me. Okay. For you, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I also know that like Cal Posey and people who have done really good work on the 49ers this year say that like every time in training camp and in preseason and stuff that Jordan Mason's got an opportunity, mm -hmm. he converts the sticks, you know, he does exactly what is asked for them and not much more. So I'm going to throw my – I'm glad you're confident in this. I am not because I well, could see I'm not Jordan Mason – starting him. No, no, no. But yeah. I could see Jordan Mason popping in more often than we saw earlier this season when it was he and Ty Davis-Price working as that second back. Yeah, I don't think I'll be ranking any of these guys uh, high. Okay. I just wanted to talk through that because, you know, we're here in week 13. Brandon Ayuk playing very well. Wide receiver my five guy. in touchdowns over expected. Scored 2.2 .2 more than somebody uh, in an average offense. He's he's the wide receiver 29 in usage, but he's like very bankably somebody playing above expectations. Jimmy G's playing uh, pretty well. I didn't get to watch this last game, um, but he's keeping these guys afloat. I didn't want to say too much about the San Francisco 49ers because they are on this week's episode of Scheme. If you haven't checked out Scheme, go. it's a show with me and Josh McCown where we talk through entire offenses, quarterbacks, what play callers want to do. You should go and look at it. Great one with Miami Dolphins. Good one with Justin Fields. Great program. It's on the channel. Go and subscribe and look at it. Uh, okay. Seattle Seahawks. So over the last few games with Kenneth Walker, 26 yards on 14 carries, 17 yards on 10 carries. He's getting like monikered as the new Saquon Barkley. This is so overreactionary. I can't <laughs> believe it. This is driving me crazy. Continue. But I feel like we do a disservice to the audience that hears these talking points from, 
you know, the football collective that we should talk through them, you know, and maybe put a different spin on it. Um, my spin is I don't freaking care if this is his average yards per carry, because even if you view Kenneth Walker as a boom bust type player, then he has enough talent to create big explosive plays. I also want to bring up that this isn't that much better, but he had a 13 yard loss. Yes. This matters <laughs> 100%. We would so, not. Be, oh my God. Continue. A 1.9 yard average would then really just be a three yard average. He tried to turn a four yard loss into a positive play. I actually snuck. think I have it here. And then yeah. it turned into a 13 yard loss. Um, look, Kenneth Walker has a very unique style, as you see here, where he doesn't mind cutbacks. He likes to find the open lanes. He loves to press the hold and bounce, press the hold and bounce. The interior of the Seahawks offensive line has, and Andrew Billings in this game was fantastic, like wreck them. But the context of how often is Kenneth Walker going to lose 13 yards in a single play and drop his average by a full yard, that's not going to happen in any of their week. No, that's random. There was there was a couple reps where he completely stopped his feet. I'm not sure if they're going to be in this or not. But I, I thought Ken Walker played pretty pretty damn well. I know like, like he created those two touchdowns. Those were a lot because of him. He was catching some passes out in the flats. He's he looks dominant to me. I mean, look, he's so damn strong. Uh, this is a, this is an offensive line that's not playing that great. They're playing probably playing a little bit better than we expected. But this is still a bottom half of the league offensive line. Geno Smith, I thought played. There it is. A pretty good game. Yeah, this happens, man. He's trying to make a play. So be it. Who cares? Um, Geno Smith was throwing the balls to the intermediate all day long. <laughs> I got canceled for this. Uh, he 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 had real, one really bad interception, but uh, DK Metcalf, somebody I wanted to just bring up real quick. Um, right now, uh, he is a major positive regression candidate. Over the last month, he's the wide receiver five in usage, wide receiver 18 in actual production. He's somebody that's uh, underperforming in the touchdown department, even though he's getting a lot of opportunities out there. We know DK Metcalf can ball, but uh, rewatching this game, uh, I thought Geno Smith looked good. I thought Ken Walker still looks pretty good. All these, he's a boom bust rusher, but it's going to average out and he's going to average out to a mostly booms, very few bust. Who cares? And he's way more involved in the receiving game than everyone gave him credit for. Like there's no way you're sitting Kenneth Walker here. I'm sorry. He's not getting 167 and 109 yards and all that type of stuff. Look, it was a really bad game, I think, from the Seahawks losing to the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, there's going to be more opportunities, I think, than just you know the 14 for 26, the 10 for 17 that we've seen in these two losses. And I think you know the Seahawks are going to finish the season with a winning record. So in wins this year, Kenneth Walker has been a focal point of this offense and really impactful. So let's not get our boxers in a wad, you know? Tyler Lockett, wide receiver, three and touchdowns ever expected. How about that for your boxers? <laughs> Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So Rashad White dominated the work against, on paper, again, the worst rushing defense in the league. But that got us 14 carries for 64 yards, and that includes an opening drive 35-yard run. Uh, the team went away from running as much, it felt like, in mm -hmm. this game versus other ones. And I said, I'm just done with, you know, the Buccaneers. I've, I've been bringing up on the show that I think they can turn the corner. I said in instant reactions that I don't believe they can. And it sounds like Leonard Fournette's going to be back this week, too. 
Yeah, so that would be the, the new wrinkle. This is going to be based off of reporting, uh, in my opinion. Rashad White did go out there, 17 expected half PPR points without Lenny. Um, I think they should go to Rashad White. He caught a lot of passes, and that was kind of the, the wrinkle there. Um, did have that one explosive run. This Bucks offense, to me, has just not been getting any explosive plays, and I had to go pull it up. And it's, it's just true. They're just not throwing the ball downfield at the same rates, and that's why Mike Evans, even his production, is slightly down from where it was, I guess the, the big positive for the bucks is Chris Godwin looked healthy, uh, returned to wide receiver one usage as my model was kind of predicting. Um, and I think the same Michael Gallup, Chris Godwin, this is what a month or two after they come back from the injuries right when you start feeling more confident in them. So that's something to remember down the stretch, but yeah, Tristan Wirf's going to be missing some time. They're a limited offense because they're not throwing the ball downfield at the same rates and the offensive line. Uh, they can't run the ball on any of these short yard situations. Yeah, I mean, Tom Brady had 37 completions last year of 20-plus yards. Uh, this year, so far, he has, I believe, 17. Yeah. 17 for one touchdown. Yep, it's all the deep stuff. That's not good. All right. Next up, Tennessee Titans. Let's talk about Traylon Burks because I think we've highlighted his negatives in the past. I'm going to go out there, Hayden, and say that Traylon Burks is improving as a player. I, I will agree. Now, the Titans are using him in somewhat the same ways that we talked about with Christian Watson, where it's an athlete that you get him in space, you can get him in isolated coverage and allow him to use athleticism. We've seen crossing routes closer to the line of scrimmage as well. You're not going to see them in this package, uh, but there are times, especially this past week against the Cincinnati Bengals, where I saw him attack the blind spots of cornerbacks, the blind spots of safeties in his route running. So that's improvement. You know, that is progressing as a quote unquote phone booth route runner where it's the nuances to the game. And then I love this because this is such an interesting play from the Titans who obviously have tendencies of lots of running with with Derrick Henry. So you go, go out there with only one wide receiver, Literally, there is no single high safety in the back half for the Packers. So Ryan Tannehill sees his one-on-one matchup with Jair Alexander, and he says, all right, Traylon's back healthy, big body, athlete, run down the field, and we're going to allow you off deep play action, which the Titans probably do more than anyone else in the league, to go up and get it. And so I'm loving that he's showing this aspect and loving him showing some nuance in his play too or across other games and other aspects of his game. Yeah, there's one rep in this Bengals game uh, where against zone coverage, broken play, scramble drill, he knows the down and distance finds a, a nice spot too. Uh, he's still in a pretty unique role, and it's the, basically the exact opposite role that he was in college. All these deep, deep post routes. He's still primarily only playing in three wide receiver sets. Now he has been playing well enough. There's a chance he goes to the valuable two wide receiver sets or that the Titans just opt for more three wide receiver sets, but he's been mostly the deep threat and he's been making some plays has been mossing some people using his athleticism. And like you said, there's been a couple plays where he's improving and just uh, since the buy uh, he's had 9.2 expected half PPR points before that it was 5.7 per game. So he's on the trajectory. He still is uh, only the wide receiver 30 on wide or wide receiver 39 on wide receiver 30 usage so i don't want to get too carried away but it's definitely signs of life for trey lumberg's yeah now all things considered and this is when we put you again target share into perspective 
you know, Ryan Tannehill throws the ball 34, 27, 36, 20, and 25 times over the last five games. So it's not huge volume out there, but at least we're getting these bigger shots down the field in isolated coverage. And there are some AJ Brown esque aspects to them needing a playmaker. And he is fulfilling those because truly no one else on that team could. Yeah, it's the same type of route, those deep crossing routes that you'd see yep. with AJ Brown. I think that AJ Brown's got light years more like speed. I'm totally with Traylon, you. Um, but they're trying to get him in that role, and it's nice to see him develop because it's a big learning curve from what he was doing in college versus what they're asking him to do. And we're seeing some signs of life. Uh, last quick note here: uh, Ben Jones, a center, longtime center, has been one of the better uh, uh, players according to PFF for a lot of the times. He's been dealing with a concussion. Uh, they got absolutely obliterated on the offensive line. Uh, looking for Ben Jones to return uh, before I get super excited about Derrick Henry. And they get the Philadelphia Eagles next up. They need Ben Jones desperately for that game. You know, I I do think if you drafted Traylon Burks like at cost, he definitely hasn't paid off, especially like in best ball and all that stuff, like where he was going at certain parts of this offseason. But I do want to, you know, think of these types of segments, this and the Christian Watson one, when we do have these conversations with you, you know, in June, July, August, and early September, because the NFL season is so freaking long, you know, and like the show the is really Josh, long. Where are the payouts? Right. At what the week? end. Yeah. Right. So it, I do want to remind myself because we were not wrong with the early Traylon Burks or Christian Watson stuff, but I think like that's why this show is important where we can put it all into perspective and see like the improvements on week to week and see what the usage is. And I'm not like, and this goes for any of these players that we talk about. We're not changing our emphasis or the points or the foundation of, of what we made them early in the season. This is almost like a, a different part of the schedule. Literally, it is. Then in weeks one, week two, week three. So it's almost two different mindsets of how you're talking about these players. And I think that's totally fine that you're able to do that. I think that there's ways to not take every single of these type of players in every single round, but to sprinkle in two of these types with veterans early on the season. Bank your production. That's something we have to like really talk through. You can't draft a team of only Traylon Burks. Your team's not going to make it. But you want a couple of Traylon Burks to pair with your Adam Thielens and vice versa. We'll close to the Washington Commanders. So Brian Robinson had a game. It's, I mean, talk about an awesome story for Brian Robinson. Like this summer, lead running back, earned it, goes an end reserve, shot in the leg. Now he goes out there and posts, you know, over 100 yards. He goes out there and is running over the faces of Atlanta Falcons defensive backs near the goal line. Um, 18 carries, 105. Two receptions, 20 yards, and a score. It's this one. Like, get out of my way, dude. Now, Washington is one of these teams that is surging late. And we almost have to reset our priors on from a top-down view of who they are because the defense is playing a lot better. It's still a bit streaky. And I also wonder, like, what happens if J.D. McKissick comes back into this? But... At the very least, like this is really promising stuff from a rookie who I had as my running back three heading into uh, this rookie class. So he started the game, had 12.1 expected half PPR points. And I think that's kind of like the debate here is if he's not going to catch that many passes and this commander's offense has been, I guess, okay with Taylor Heineke, but it seems so gimmicky um, and not sticky that I still don't want to get too carried away, but he did play and start ahead of Antonio Gibson. There was some type 
a flippening to some extent here. So um, I think he's fine. I like his big hat, but uh, I'm not going to get too carried away. I think he's like a what it, I should rank him as like the RB 22 this week without knowing matchups. Um, and speaking of Curtis Samuel, because this is again a situation where you have to reset maybe a a prior mindset that you had with a fantasy player. He has more carries than catches over the last three weeks. A not so nice wide receiver, sixty nine, and expected happy PR points over the last month. So he's so while he was a very consistent awesome. member of like a Carson Wentz passing attack because he was the easy button that has changed with Taylor Heineke out there. Facts. All right, longest show of the year for Stats versus Film. It's because no we teams were, were on by. We were due because we missed last week. Appreciate you all tuning in. It's amazing that there's still 500 people tuning in at the end of this. Tell a friend about the channel. Go watch Scheme. Go and check out Hayden's columns and their other shows later on this week. We appreciate you. Up the villa. We'll talk to y'all soon. See ya.